Playbook podcast here inside the studio at Franklin Bridge. Thank you all so much for taking a listen to us today. And uh, first of all, we want to start out by uh, thanking our sponsors for this season of the Champions Playbook. So we have Strixon, who we trust them with our game, and they give us the tools to be able to perform out there on the golf course the best we know how. And uh, they're an awesome, awesome company. So make sure to check them out if you are in the market for new golf clubs. Uh, the other sponsor that we have, super exciting for this year, is Arcos. Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about Arcos? So Arcos is a stat tracking company um, that has a device at the end of each club. Um, and with digital spacing tracking, when you make contact with a golf ball, it picks it up. And it goes all the way in depth. Once you've played the entire round, it starts to learn how far you hit every club. It knows where the wind is and all of those kinds of factors while you're playing. So it can even suggest clubs to hit the whole nine yes, yards. Yes, please. <laughs> Jay, our uh, our guest is like, yeah, sign us up for that. So, <laughs> um, but it's a wonderful tool. Uh, allows me to kind of go in and I can look at it in depth. I can actually even see where each shot was hit overlaid on the hole. So from a coaching standpoint, when you're in on that, when you come in for your lesson, I'm able to kind of scroll through some of that and say, hey, did you know there's a pattern to when you tend to miss it right or tend to miss it left? And it's not just people like, oh, I just always screw these three holes up. Yeah, they all have this thing in common. Amazing. So it's incredible. And we actually have a, uh, a promo code with Arcos. Yep. Thank you, Arcos, for sponsoring uh, Cracking the Code this winter and the Champions Playbook as well. If you guys think that that would be something that would be useful for you, you can use our promo code one rule 15 O-N-E-R-U-L-E-1-5, and you'll get 15% off your first purchase. Yep. It's amazing. So thanks so much, Arcos. Um, well... We got some exciting things to announce. First of all, you can follow Scott on social media at Golf, two S's, two E's. Yep. You can also find us on YouTube if you just search the Champions Playbook. And Scott, do you think uh, we've kind of like teased it a little bit in our last few podcasts, but do we want to like announce officially what our new brand will be at the start of 2023? Um, yeah, we don't have a logo for it yet. We don't have a logo, but I think the name... The is, name is, good. is the No Mulligans Podcast. The No Mulligans Podcast. So you if you guys like that, we'd love to hear it from <laughs> you. We're going to be releasing a few things starting 2023. Um, but if you're on YouTube, make sure you search the Champions Playbook. We'll let you guys know when that branding changes. So um, super excited. You want to start our podcast off? Yeah. So, um, you know, we've talked about a lot about leadership. We've talked about Jocko. We've talked about Gary Vee. We've talked about... We got Ramsey, like uh, Simon Sinek, you know, all of the the major, you know, mainstream guys. Um, we've had Scott Spector on my podcast in the past, good friend of mine. Uh, he's actually got some sponsoring for. Um, this is just a sidebar for you. Um, to he's got sponsor dollars for the next three years to try and get on the senior tour. Oh, let's go! Yeah. And by the way, he shot fifty nine at Chateau Alain a few weeks ago. So. He's been Scott's a, a real deal. He's been posting on Instagram some of his swings, and I'm Dude, just he's been, I'm it very so impressed. good right now. Oh, so great. So I'm excited for him, but he's been one of our leaders. He had a book uh, as well, and um, our guest has several books. Um, you know, really I heard cool. Six books. Yeah, six, six, seven, eight. Yeah, something. Like something. <laughs> <laughs> lost track. Uh, but yeah, Scott's you know book is. Um, it's kind of a it's a seven step type book, um, which is cool. It's more in depth, kind of like my first book, where you kind of work through it. But Jamie's the book that we're going to kind of push here uh, during this podcast is very much kind of a 
like bullet points. Here's things you can grab. Um, it reminds me a lot of, um, uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, the, uh, the game I love by Sam Snead. Remember yeah, we went through yeah. a couple of those. We, we went through a few. Kind of, of those, a yeah. like coffee table style book where like you can sit at your bedside table, and you know everybody's like, "Well, I don't have time to read." It's like, yeah, you no, do. This is a handbook. This, this is, is super punchy. Yeah, meant to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just I love the difference that this has, right? So I like totally. both. I'm, I'm very dynamic in that sense. So um, I haven't read the whole thing, but kind of was able to glance through it a little bit before we started. But uh, with us, we have, I'm going to let you give your exact title and what you do, uh, but is uh, Jamie George with us based here in Nashville. Um, so Jamie, if you'll tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah. And I'm an executive coach. Which is what Scott did. So, yeah. That's <laughs> so easy. I was like, I don't know what the terminology yeah, is. You know, it's life coaching. It's executive coaching. I write a little bit. Uh, I dabble in the entertainment space. So we've got some shows we're working on. We got we filmed a couple pilots this year for some television shows. So we'll see what happens with that. Oh but, man, yeah, it's it, the, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, although I will say this, after listening to Jack talk, I never want to talk again. I mean, talk about a podcast. podcast I know. How voice. about Are you what? kidding me? <laughs> I said like, that so many times. Fair. I know. How did he get that voice? I know. So whatever you do for the rest of your life, keep doing this. Yeah, I'll do something in this. Oh space my forever, heavens! Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I need to hire him for every time we do a voiceover for anything. Hey, I'm I'm open for okay, business. Okay, all right, Give good. Me a shout. All right, Give me Jack, a shout. I'm coming after you. Um, no, so most of my time is spent. Uh, probably 80 percent of my time is spent uh, doing a lot of corporate coaching. I work with a lot of C-suites, just a lot of folks and entrepreneurs, athletes, entertainers, that kind of thing. But I love also coaching for the masses in whatever way I can. So we do a little thing on TikTok. We launched a podcast a month ago called The Thrivalist Podcast. And every all my work is about going from surviving to thriving. That's our world. I love that, just surviving to thriving. I feel like that's, um, speaking from somebody who's in their mid-20s right now, I feel like we, we start to, and I'm starting to see this transition from surviving to then thriving, finding your voice, finding what you love to do, and then just going out and executing that. And I think that for a lot of people, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like a lot of people can even get up to you know, 40, 50 years old and, and just be surviving throughout that entire yeah, time. People can live a lifetime that way. Right. Yeah. And so I feel like it's, it's so useful and why I'm so glad you're on this podcast to be able to find some catalysts that might be able to give people ideas of how to start thriving. Almost everybody I interact with... It, when they're when they're stuck or they feel challenged or maybe they even have a little motion but they want momentum it almost always comes down to one of these three things number one who am i so it's about identity number two why am i here what's my purpose and number three what do i want and almost any time you have a problem you can go back to one of those three things i've gotten lost in my identity i i'm having an identity crisis which by the way everybody has identity crisis cuz you crises because you go from one identity to another that's pretty now i'm a student oh no i'm not a student what am i now like then i'm in this other thing well what am i now so there is this what who am i and of course i what happens i, I use a little spiritual frame here as well is ultimately to me the long journey is this awakening to who i am in this deep deep place right in deep recesses of my soul there's always this awakening life comes to us as our teacher to show us this human experience is revealing something and then you know why am i here this is my what's my purpose and when we get distracted from purpose we feel incongruent if you're unhappy you're unhappy for one reason Anybody listening, if you're unhappy, comes down to one thing. 
there's some kind of incongruence inside. It's incoherent. Something inside is not aligned. Mm -hmm. If yeah. you're unhappy, it's because something internally is not lined up. And you can almost go back to one of these three things. And the third one is, what do I want? And to actually communicate what I want is vulnerable. Because to acknowledge that I want something implies there's something I don't have. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, so to actually articulate it and put it like, no, this is what I want. Oh, now I'm accountable to myself. Totally. You know, it's funny. I I, I do that with students, um, depending on where they're at. Like, I try to deal a lot with the identity part. And um, the gentleman I learned to teach from, Hank Johnson, he's passed away a couple of years ago. He uh, would give this talk every year at a tournament in Birmingham. It's a it's a big junior high school tournament. It was a um, kind of a remembrance tournament. It's called the Bradley Johnson Memorial Tournament. And Bradley was one of Hank's students who took second at the uh, U.S. Amateur Championship one year. And like all the guys on tour knew who he was was going to come up. And then Bradley passed away in a car accident. And so Hank every year would present <clears throat> at that uh, at that dinner after that first round and every single year he said golf is not who you are it's just something that you do and that was like he would start maybe a little bit different but he always ended there and he said if golf is who you are and you just walk around with whatever your most recent score is i'm i'm 67 i'm 92 yeah, i'm 105 good. like good. and so like always trying to pull up that who i am but the fun one for me recently has been i've started to pick up some more uh college players recently uh some elite um juniors and our winter program we have 52 total people juniors and adults of like well what do you want well i just want to be better. like what do you want mm. like well you know i'd like to go from a 12 to like a nine i was like is that what you want or do you want to be lower well i just you know i mean i'd really like to be a five okay now we're now we're talking yeah, right, right like right, right. you're just like kind of short selling yourself like i don't know that i can really do this i was like what's wrong with like you don't have to tell it to everybody but like i need to know what you actually want mm so that I know how far I can push you and I can tie everything we do to that thing. Like this is a, we're doing this to get to that. We can't get to that if we don't have this. Yeah. Where there is no vision, the people perish, right? Like there has to be something mm. you're aiming at. Yeah. yeah. And, and the magic to me is if I'm obsessed with the outcome, right? I, and I attach to the outcome, then I'm probably going to suffer because the outcome's not going to be exactly what I thought it would be once I arrive. Even if it is the outcome I wanted, it's probably not going to fulfill me exactly the way I thought it was once I got there. It reminds me of the Tom Brady interview. Was it like early 2000s? was like they said, they were asking, you know, so what's, you know, what's it like to win a Super Bowl and, or another one? He said, you know, I just, I kept, I can't help but think that there's just something more out there. Mm. Like it wasn't what you he thought. You get to it. the thing. So the magic, it's cliche, right? But the... It really isn't about the destination. It's about the journey. And yet you still aim for the destination. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so it, there, there's nothing wrong with going, wait, I want the five. Okay. Now we're going to take a journey to get to the five. Now, the journey is the magic. Enjoy being present to the, da the daily failures and successes. Enjoy being present to taking the swing. Enjoy being present to what you're learning. Let life come to you as your teacher. And you might arrive at that five. And you might get there and it might be deeply satisfying and you might arrive at the five and go, actually, I realized that it wasn't about golf for me. This was actually, I was resolving some other deep issue that I had that I really wanted to resolve. And it was just challenging myself to move past that, right? It actually was something else. That's not unusual. It's, that happens all the time for us. Yeah. But, the, but to show up each day 
that's the magic. Can I be present to the moment? I'm, uh, here I am with my golf coach, and we're having an interaction. I'm present to him. He's present to me, and we're a part of this game that's challenging me to see the world through a different lens, which means I've got the opportunity to grow, change, adapt, and evolve. I feel like a lot of people think that there's going to be some some euphoric answer at the end, uh, at that destination that they're always that they're shooting for. And I fi- I've found throughout i was telling you a little bit about my background before we started the show and i found that going through that journey only gives me more clarity to what i want in the future and so uh matthew mcconaughey has this famous speech where he talks about my role model my role model is yes, myself yes, in, yes. in 10 years right yeah. or myself in which five he said years. he ad-libbed by the way in the moment oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, completely yeah. off the top he's yeah. one of the most eloquent speakers yeah, i've is, ever he seen is. his he's book green lights is really good i've read it yeah, yeah it's amazing yeah, yeah. And, uh, but he was saying, you know, my, my role model is, is myself in five years or 10 years. I forget which metric he used. He goes, I know I'll never get there, but he's always going to be my role model to push myself to what I know that I can be my fullest potential. And so I think my question for you, Jamie, is, uh, you've kind of given us your background on what you do professionally on a day to day, but can you take us through your journey up until this point? Because you speak with such conviction. It makes me feel like you're very comfortable and there's, there's no, inadequacies going on in you uh as far as like your your pursuit to your own path so kind of take us through that journey for you (laughs) well there's all kinds of inadequacies um you know it is it's both so to me it it, there is always this both and have you guys seen this new the the new show the christmas the holiday movie with ryan reynolds and will ferrell it's called spirited it's hysterical (laughs) it's it 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 is think 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 a a a comedic crass version of the greatest showman love that okay (laughs) so (laughs) it's it's not super crass but it's a little bit like it's a little off but but it's really really funny but what i loved about the i don't want to give too much away but what i loved about the the apple tv thing what i loved about it was because there's a little twist on the christmas story and whatever else but what it really says is hey at the end of the day we're, we're both light and shadow like it's not you had this wonderful moment now life is perfect or you're a horrible person we tend to categorize people we villainize people people who see the world differently through us politically um sometimes people maybe who fit a certain category for us we tend to villainize and then we put uh, and then other people are heroes this is pretty natural for us when we we categorize people typically out of some kind of fear mechanism, right? We, yeah. But we, we like to create black and white scenarios. But the truth of the matter is it's all gray. Everybody is walking around with a, as a light and shadow. Everybody's got both. You have the capacity to be, to, be, to be a killer and you have the capacity to be a saint. Like both of those things exist within everyone. So to me, there, and there's an old, I don't, know, I, I don't know if it's Choctaw or Cherokee, the different tribes have variations on this myth. But, but one, of the, one of their stories is about the white wolf and the black wolf. And the, the, the story is just, hey, one grows bigger. Which one grows bigger? It's the one you feed. And so which one are you giving attention to? The inadequacies, the inadequacies that come up in me, uh, the things I contend with, um, there are two dominant addictions for me. Number one would be achievement is there are times if I'm off, if I'm not centered, if I'm not grounded in who I am, then I'm measuring my worth by what I've achieved. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't get a whole lot done today. I'm, I'm like at home, like moving my clothes around in my closet. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, I have a little bit of my OCD shows up that way. <laughs> but it, but it's, it's showing up that way because I feel like, okay, good, I got that done. So if, if I'm not grounded... There's this hook in my mind I'm, where I'm like, uh, 
today. I'm not, I really wasn't worth much today because I didn't get enough done. So yeah. that's an addiction of choice for me. Second addiction of choice for me would be approval. What do other people think of me? I've done a lot. I'm, I'm 52. That was way more dominant in my 30s and 40s. But I, but it but it's out there. That beast is still there if I give attention to it. It'll come right on back. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. So the work I've done to walk confidently in who I am has had to do with really recognizing, for me, and this is me personally for sure, failure is only feedback. Mm. Failure is not bad. I'm not awful. This isn't something I can combat. Like it, it, there is, this is not going to bury me. I'm not a bad person. Anytime I don't measure up to my own standard, instead of taking it on as an identity thing again, yeah. oh my gosh, this says something about who I am. No, this is nothing about who I am. Failure is feedback. Like that didn't work. So what do you want to do, Jamie? Well, I guess maybe I could make another choice. Yeah, I'll make another choice. Well, what if that choice sends you down the wrong path or it, it doesn't work out? Well, I could make another choice. <laughs> yeah, you're still standing. Okay. It's like a giant yeah. flowchart. I'll make an, it, yeah. yeah, I'll make another choice. And that to me, Jack, what has been very empowering for me is to realize that every human being has a superpower and it's a superpower of choice. I get to make a choice every day. I get to choose my mindset. I get to choose my attitude. Victor Frankl is fa famous for saying in Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about, you know, he made it through the Holocaust through a concentration camp. And he's famous for telling a story about one of the people in the camp who was giving their last little shards of bread and passing it along and going, they can take everything from me, but they can't take what I do with my heart. I choose who I want to love and who I don't want to love. I can choose if I want to be generous or not generous. That is still my choice. I get to choose my attitude on any given day. So sometimes we get locked into a mindset where oh, I'm the victim of this weather. I'm the victim of my back pain. I'm the victim of this relationship. I'm the victim of the economy. I'm the, and when I'm a victim, I have no power. And I, all I do is I whine, I gripe. Instead, the power position is like, well, actually, I have a choice. Well, and when you do that whining and that griping, you actually perpetuate, you bring about the very thing that it is that you fear. And there's our quantum physics right there, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in Newtonian physics is there's a cause and an effect. And in quantum physics, you're causing effect at all times. So the, like quantum physics is saying, wait a second, the observer is always having an effect on their reality. It's not binary now. No, right, that's yeah. right. So that's why a, a waiter or waitress can walk up to your table and one person's like, oh my gosh, that person's so rude. And the other person can be like, man, I think that person's having a rough day. Right. Which, which, way, which way do you want to see it? We are meaning-making individuals and we do this all the time. So the question before all of us every day about everything is what choice do I want to make? Yeah, and you're going to make some bad ones. And, and it's okay because failure is only feedback. That's my journey, Jack. I, failure for me was like, oh my gosh, I can't fail, I can't fail, I can't fail. And when I finally accepted, wait, if I avoid any attempt to do something new or risk just because I'm afraid of failure, then I'm never going to expand. It, to you, what is that difference? Because I think a lot of people are afraid to fail, yeah. including myself. And so when you talk about, all right, well, the minute that I gatekeep myself from those experiences, I no longer grow as a human. Yeah, yeah. How do you then overcome 
that initial fear? Because I think a lot of people listening to the podcast probably have a similar yeah. feeling yeah, as yeah. well. What are what are your thoughts on that? Well, there are a couple of books on mastery. Of course, I know you got one you love, um, and I got one by Robert Greene that I think is fantastic. But when it comes to mastery in anything, the very first stage is awkward. So the first stage is supposed to be awkward and unfamiliar. So if you go, well, I guess I mean I'm gonna try. I don't. I'm I'm scared to fail. But what if I go? try a thing first of all there is no try yoda got that right <laughs> trying is a deflecting mechanism to not take responsibility so there's no try so all my clients do they're not allowed to use the word try I, well, well i tried to fix that i was like but you didn't yeah because you tried yeah so like, you actually create you created your own resistance by saying the word try think about it i'm going just to try. saying the word try created my own resistance well you basically said i can't do it right I it's made a, myself. Soft, I made myself an excuse before I even went to do it. Yeah. So there is no try. There's only choose. So if you choose to do something new, embrace the awkward and unfamiliar because that means you're dead on. You're on the right path. Yeah. So if you show up and you're like, "Hey, I want to take up the game of golf," and I go to swing, I'm like, "This is so awkward," and I feel really embarrassed. And there's nothing to feel embarrassed about. Awkward and unfamiliar is fantastic. That's what we did with Jamie in his first lesson about <laughs> six weeks ago. I was like, "Hey, we're gonna hit it this way. Uh, All right, we're just gonna hit it right. Every like, swing right was right. awkward and unfamiliar. Like they were so far right, we just <laughs> let him hit it right for twenty minutes. Can you think of something when you first started coaching me that was kind of like, uh, um? Something that you were just like, all right, let's just do this. Because I feel like I looked back at my first golf swing with you in my first mm -hmm. lesson. I remember seeing it, and I was like, that swing is god awful. <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know that I do see it that way. Really? Yeah, just because, like, you know, in all of my emails that we put out, like, I just believe people can do hard stuff. Yeah. Like, it just go on, just go on YouTube and type in like. People doing awesome things. <laughs> right. And there'll be like right. a 20-minute montage right. of like, you're going, how did somebody learn right. how to do that? Yep. Like, have you heard of Tom Thumb? Yeah. Like, the stuff he can do with his voice. Like, he sounds like a trumpet. He can play an entire orchestra just out of his voice. Oh, yeah. It is, he's the elite of the elite. <laughs> and like, how, and you can't see it. It's not like, he can look in a mirror, maybe see how his mouth moves a little bit, but like, to me, voice is phenomenal because yes. you can't see any yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah. It's all... It's all inside. Yes. There's a little bit of breathing technique. You can maybe look down here. But, like, people can do amazing things. Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, but, but, but again, they limited. can do amazing it started things. But it, it started with correct. awkward and unfamiliar. Right. The second correct. stage is boredom. So the second stage okay. to mastery is actually boredom. You know you're on the path to mastery. If you start doing something, you're like, oh, my gosh, do I seriously have to go do this again? Scott, you told me to hit 100 balls. Like, this is boring. It, yeah. If you get to the place where you, you're doing it and it starts to feel boring, that's the second stage. Because now it's dropping into your subconscious. And once you get to do it, now... The other that's thing, the longest phase it is too. it is and oh, and there's lovely and and there's <laughs> is. that's where you're that's, that's where, where I'm you're at. at right now ah, no, that's it's good. like oh okay what about can i do it a different i was like no you got to stay right there and you, you keep just, him there right right and and the brain says no i want to <laughs> i want to go do the other thing see your face no it's so great and it this is it like this is how we do it 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 and once you do that long enough the moment happens where suddenly your brain has an aha and goes, wait a second, maybe I can create from this. Uh, and that's like where my brain wants to live all the all, time. Uh, of yeah. course we all do, because right. we all want mastery. Right, right, right. But the masters now, that's why a master always has its own signature. That's why anybody who's a master does it their way. 
every time you talk about any master in golf, what's the nuance and subtlety of that guy and the way he hits it and how he hits it and why he approaches the ball the way he does. Every master has their own thing. And they're all different. And they're all different. There may be some, like, threads of similarity right, right and their physics line up very similar to right. the bottom but like how they get there is entirely different. right which was to me when when you and i met for the first time i was so grateful when you talked about do dominant and non-dominant patterns mm -hmm. and when you're like hey you're 52 look if you want to play professional golf i'll have to strip this whole thing down we start from nothing but if you just want to go out and play scratch golf or you want to play bogey golf hey look i'm just going to work with your non-dominant patterns and we're going to fix some things and you're going to go hit the ball and i was like let's start there <laughs> um, yeah. You know, like that, first of all, you gave me hope. It was not like, hey, in three sessions, you're going to actually see a dramatic shift. And I did the first session, you know, of course. Yeah. Um, and, but that was, you were allowing me, you were walking me through a process and I had to stay in awkward and unfamiliar enough, which I'm still in. Um, yeah, because you're still new. Yeah, because I'm new. And I have to accept that. Now, here's the other thing yeah, about when you're, when you're in the awkward and unfamiliar there is a once you start getting in the thing. This is um, Robert Green talks about this. Don't start acting like you know what you're doing. Ooh. You start to get a little bit of information. You got a little bit of the lingo. You're starting to hang out. You got to be wearing a golf shirt. You got your shoes. And then, oh yeah, and and his whole thing is do not show up as a poser. If you act like you know what you're doing too fast, you're past. You're skipping a process that's meant to happen in your brain. Yeah. Don't try to be competitive when you're not competitive yet. He literally says, don't even go out and compete against somebody yet. So this time, we had this talk a while back about the junior golf um, with, you know, guys and girls, but in particular the girls, they're like, okay, we're going to jump into middle school golf and you put them in tournaments and they can't break 120. <laughs> We've talked about some of the past like three podcasts. Like yeah. you're setting them mm -hmm. up. 100%. And then they all come to me with no, like my, I don't know why my daughter doesn't have any confidence. Mm -hmm. I was like, because you stuck her in competition when she wasn't ready. You right, wouldn't give her a guitar. Right, 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 right. And she can't play three chords and stick her up on stage. So good, Scott. You wouldn't do that. Yeah. But we, like, for whatever reason in golf, we do that. You know, to, like, sit there and they go play basketball. This Well, we got a girls' basketball program. I get, like, in high school, you kind of have to have some sort of structure as a team. But, like, we're just not preparing them to be able to perform. And it's they become The other thing is a team sport is different than an individual sport. I would agree with that. When you're with a team sport, you are benefiting from the mastery that's happening around you. Yeah. Right? And you can hide a little bit. You can hide a little bit. And sometimes there's a little fake it till you make it in that. And, and, and you know, I'm sure there's an interesting principle in there. But when it comes to an individual sport, when it comes to... Ma now, again, if you're interested in mastery, if you're interested in mastery and playing at a high level, accept this awkward unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. That's an important part of the process. Since this is like ingrained in you in your everyday life and you're teaching this, I'm curious in your journey in golf right now, do you think that that will be hard for you to accept as you go through the stages of learning in this game? It would have when I was in my 30s as the competitor in me. Yeah. Uh, no question. At 52, no, I totally embrace it. I'm I'm totally good with, okay, this is going to be awkward enough. You would have attached your identity to how That's well exactly you did. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I would have been like, I'm an idiot. I'm, I would have been embarrassed. I would, and, and I wouldn't, because that approval thing was a really high mechanism for me. That was a big hook for me back then. What changed? What was the, the, the switch that flipped? Because I do see there's some tendencies in me where I'll tie my success in a task to my personal identity. What mm. What detached that for you at the end of the day? 
Can you see this personal journey deck uh, going through right good, now? It's good. <laughs> well, I, think it's so good. I think a lot of people are also on yeah, this no, journey I, too. I, yeah. think, I think you're right. <clears throat> We're all on, We're all on it. Jack, at one level, there's a, Joseph Campbell talks a lot about the hero's journey. And, and any story is told in rising cycles of tension, right? We all live a version of this. We're going to go through this, like we talked about, right? Like, here's this thing. I, first thing that happens is I'm called to do a thing. And as soon as I feel this thing to do it, what's the first response? No, I'm not going. Like, this is every movie. This is, And this is all of us. It happens in real life. <laughs> yeah. You're called to do a thing. The first response is, dear God, no. <laughs> then what happens is you, like, reluctantly, you're thrown into it, or you're pushed into it, or you finally go into it, and now you're on this long journey of discovery that's full of a- awkwardness, unfamiliarity, tension, ambiguity, uncertainty. You're being exposed and eventually what happens, again, this, you watch this happen in any film, except for independent films, but you're, 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 <laughs> your typical film, you, but you watch this hero's journey, and then he, he comes face to face with the fact that there's more in him that he realized, and, he, and, and the thing happens, there's this climactic moment where he saves the day, or he accomplishes the thing, or he hits the ball, or whatever, and then he also realizes what I thought the thing was was not really the thing. I learned something about me that I, I this I was meant to learn this thing, and you have this epilogue, you have this moment at the end of the film, or the, this kind of soft moment of like oh, reflection, and that was nice, and you know they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the they put it in the big warehouse and they roll out, and Indiana walks down the steps, you know, like you have an epilogue, and then guess what happens? The next moment is coming. Yeah, the call to the next thing. So we the sequel. Yeah, right. But that's <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah, 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 but exactly. we live that in our own lives. Like I, you, you get called to this thing. You do the thing. You go through the cycle. You have a, often a climactic moment, a dramatic moment. Maybe you have a big capital, inve- you know, capital experience. You make a bunch of cash. I, I meet a lot of guys in this place. They make a bunch of cash, and now it's like, oh, what do I do now? That's exactly right. Yeah. Because the uh, I had the before it was the burn. It was the run. It was the pursuit. Now I don't have to? Mm. What do I do with myself? I mean, that's a massive existential crisis for people. Do you think that as you uh, you and, and what you do and the people that you've met and even yourself, do you think you've seen people who just have gone on that journey so many, so many times that are just like, you know what, I'm just me and I'm just doing the next thing. Do you think that's kind of the... the that's a small percentage, but that to me is the deep, 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 deep work. Gotcha. And that is the... I mean, when you see somebody and you go, that guy is... you you. you you know when you you know when you bump into one of these people because the light shines from them so brightly, like they're just so comfortable in their own skin, mm. and there is a there's a peacefulness around them. But Jack, that is what's happened. They've gone through the cycle enough that there's been a shedding of the ego. In the book, we talk a lot about the, the ego and the true self, and the ego is built around um, it, it, it. The ego is walking around trying not to die. So hmm. we're grateful for the ego; keeps us alive. But we only survive in our ego state. Thriving is about coming out above the ego. So good. And awakening to who you are in this other reality, this true self. That's that spiritual plane. People have a lot of different language for it. Even psychology has a language for it. But it's that true self, who you are in this higher plane. And then in that place, you're at peace. Some of us only taste it. We have moments. Some of us have long seasons of it. But you find people, you know, they've lived a little bit of life. They've been through some pain. And, and you do find the people who are awakening to that thing, like, wait a second, this is what's true. And I, I'm a firm believer that the answers are in everyone. It's, it's funny that you 
mention that. I'm not going to respond to that last thing you said, but like I've been thinking about, <clears throat> there was a gentleman gone to a bunch of weddings when I was about your age and like I was down in Birmingham and like I worked at a private club, spent time around a lot of private clubs and this isn't a knock on the wealthy, but there was a gentleman I met for the first time at a wedding that was family friends with Rebecca. I hadn't met him before and like we're sitting there waiting for the service to start. And he just starts asking genuine questions about who we are, like who I am, what is it about you? It wasn't the typical, like, what are you going to do for five years? Like, you're in the golf business. Like, like that's not a very profitable business, right? Like, there's, there's just all of these, like, types of threads where, like, they're all trying to hide. Like, you can tell how they dress, like, even at a wedding. Like, are you trying to be the most flashy? Like, he was dressed in a nice tux, but the way... He talked and interacted with people. You could tell that he was he was on a different plane than yeah. everybody else. Yeah. And you didn't know whether he had ten dollars or you know, a hundred million. Yeah. You're talking about just based off the quality of his questions. Just based on the quality of his questions and the way his he was essence, his aura, the way he is, yeah, right? So there, it's interesting. So that that we so we're all we carry an electrical charge, right? So we're we're we are an exchange of energy. We're just dense matter. So this is fascinating. You just go look up a little quantum physics on this. I mean, but physics in general, we're an exchange of energy. That's what at a subatomic level, you're just an exchange of energy. So is this thing, right? We're just we're walking around as dense matter. So it's interesting. Spiritual teachers that go, "Hey, you're the light of the world." It's actually not metaphorical. It's actually it's literal. You are a light. This is why we 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 even use some language like, "Oh my gosh, I really resonated with that guy. That guy's on a different plane. That guy gives me a weird vibe." We say it's metaphorical, it's, but it's actually physiological. We feel something when you're in somebody else's presence. It's funny when science doesn't want to like touch on that stuff. It's like actually there is a spiritual. Oh, this component is totally. To this is but where science and it. spirituality are the exact same. They go together. They do. Yeah, totally. scientists won't talk about it because it'll disprove their other theories that they've already but it brought doesn't. up, right? Because it feels, but it feels like it feels like uh, magic in a bottle. So it feels like something that a genie is telling you, right? Rather than something that you can actually physically prove. But more and more scientists who are going, okay, the Newtonian model was helpful for us. We wouldn't have got to the moon without it. But the world is bigger than the Newtonian model. Yeah, it's not just cause and effect. This idea of what's what we're learning at a subatomic level is actually coordinating with and reinforcing the spiritual concepts that we have they're not actually they're not they're not at war with each other they actually correlate what do you think creates somebody who has an energy uh, let's just say a positive energy like for example when i walked in this room i thought that we meshed well together i started asking you questions you started asking me about what i was doing i was like you know what like this is going to be a really fun one i even said beforehand i said no discredit to all the other guests we have i said this is probably going to be one of my favorite podcasts that we've done what do you think that what do you think makes a human being vibe like that if you will jack he's just a magician and a master manipulator <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh yeah i hope not he's gonna pull out a bottle of snake oil from right his, right from his um, pocket well we know that's not true because he's too intuitive Right. So if if I came in and you really did sense, wait, there's some weird agenda with this guy, you'd know it. Totally. And so part of that intuitive part of you is, and, and it's interesting, Jack, you're young enough that you still trust it. Some of us have beaten up, been beaten up by life enough that we stop trusting our intuition. Mm. We have this gut sense. See, we've got intellectual knowing and you got this deep gut knowing. 
there are two different kinds of knowing. We were talking about Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, and, and uh, you were coaching an athlete, and you're like, man, there's something about this athlete. I can't totally put it into words, but I sense, like, there's this deep, that's part of my right? question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this deep knowing. I know this thing. So that, to me, is we're connecting on another level that we can't totally articulate. Some of it comes from, like, the connection I felt with you when we walked in was some people are open. And you can feel like they're, they're learners or they long to learn or they long to grow. They're open to new concepts and ideas. Those people tend to have like an open energy and it's easy to connect in that. Other people are close. They've been hurt so much. A lot of people carry trauma. It's still in their body. And because of that trauma, they're protected and they're guarded and they're closed. And it's a little harder to connect. And they're not bad people. They just got hurt. And they probably got hurt pretty bad in their formative years. And so, but it's harder to break through sometimes. And so that's, that may be what you sensed. And I was reading the um, the back of your book here, Going Green, which you guys should check it out if you haven't already. Well, we, well, uh, we, we rebranded it. Ah, that was the first one. It's it now called? called The Thrivalist Handbook. The Thrivalist Handbook. There yes, we go. Yes, yes. There we go. Um, and where can they find it? Amazon? Yeah, yeah, Amazon. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. I was, but I was reading the back and I was saying, uh, I was seeing how you said that you can give insights to how to make those deeper relationships and make them somewhat quickly as well. What do you think? I feel like it's easy to connect with somebody who has an open sense of energy, Mm -hmm. right? But what would you say to the people who perhaps, um, you know, are face to face in their jobs who perhaps are, uh, make friends not as easily as others. Mm -hmm. What would you say to make those deeper connections quicker with people who might be more closed off? Yeah. It's a great question. It's all about trust and emotional safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, if I believe... Ding, 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 ding. Yahtzee, can you say that again? Because I don't think you... I don't. We could say that three more times. Yeah, right. It, 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 this is fundamental to the whole entire human experience. Yep. It is all about trust and emotional safety. And that doesn't mean you can just cry in front of somebody. That's No, emotional, that's, emotional yeah. safety means um, you can share something from a vulnerable place, which, by the way, saying what you want is vulnerable. Yep. You you can share with this other person and they know how to hold the space for you. They they're not there to fix you. They're not there to rescue you. They're not there to be your messiah. You can say no not, in that space that's right. too. They yep. um they that person is there going, "Hey, there's something going on in you and I can I, I the hold the space is a term to just the idea that I don't have to fix anything. I can just participate in your story with you." Mm, yeah. And some of us w- when it's not safe, is you share with somebody and they're immediately defensive or they immediately hijack your story. If, if you've ever been with this, somebody uh, yeah. asks you a question, they go, tell me about yeah. such and such. And you're like, well, done. And they're like, well, that reminds me of me too. You know, I've been in off the, you're like, I, uh, I don't yeah. actually think you wanted to, I don't think you just were waiting did, to did add commentary. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. And so that person's not safe because you don't, I didn't actually trust that you cared. I think you were just, that was a setup for you to talk. And so you, then what happens is, and by the way, if you grow, on, grow up in a home like this, then the child is taught pretty quickly, I've got some massive dominant personality or narcissistic personality or whatever, I'm gonna, then I'll just shut down. That's so interesting. Right? Yep. And so that just shows up as a, an adult. Yeah. And so sometimes you might meet someone as an adult who's guarded or closed off, and it's just because they didn't have, they weren't offered the gift of a great deal of emotional safety as a child. So a great gift to someone is to go, hey, I'm here, I'm present to you, I have no agenda, I don't have anything to fix, this is shadow and light, like, you are who you are. 
could the same theory be applied to somebody who's just like um I don't know, perhaps insecure in themselves, but like not necessarily that they weren't given that emo- that emotional level, but perhaps they always feel like they have something to prove. Yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, for me, when I've met people, whether it's my age or older, they've been um, at a place where it's like they, it's never about being on equal, an equal playing field in, in real estate. We talk about being on equal business stature. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so sometimes it feels like that power dynamic can, mm. can switch back and forth. And I, and I feel like there's multiple reasons for somebody being closed off. Would you say that's one of the only reasons, or do you think that it's, it's a, it's, it's broader than just what you were just talking about? I think if you go, I think everybody takes a wound mm. in your formative years. We, we all, and we, and everybody buys into a lie. I've not yet met the exception. I, I, I've been had my dirt in the hands of human human beings' lives for thirty years. I haven't met anybody that's escaped this. Would you think it's about how how they respond to that, perhaps? How they were impacted, how they respond, and then it just shows up in patterns. So probably you know for you, when it you know Scott for you 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 know you as a coach, I watched you watching me swing the club. You're immediately looking for patterns. Pretty quickly, you'll identify, like, at some level, you don't know how early I actually I, identify I know, those. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe when I walked in the door, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Probably when you got out of your car. Right. Yeah. And and so, so we all, these patterns, we fall into these patterns. And again, the ego keeps us alive. So some of these patterns might be, I'm really fearful. So I've got a friend, he's super fearful. So he's in business. He's got redundancy on redundancy on redundancy. Because he's like, he's just afraid. Fear is his primary driver. I got another friend. Shame is the primary driver. I'm not good mm. enough. And so I'm constantly working from I'm not good enough. Insecurity could show up in either place. So in relation to your question, I think we all have a version of insecurity. The question is just how it manifests. And it manifests in everybody differently. This is the benefit of doing some of the personality tests that are out there because there are patterns. The DISC or the Myers-Briggs. I work a lot with Enneagram. It's nine different types. And so you can see patterns. I have patterns of proclivity. Everybody is nuanced and full of subtlety. They're their own person. Yeah. But there are patterns, and I can identify patterns. Those would be, I think, the not the dominant patterns that I'm noticing, right? Yeah. And then I've, i I got to climb into their world to find the nuances and subtleties in the non-dominant. But, but they show... And so at one level, Jack, I think we all have an insecurity. And then how does it show up? My insecurity might be I get really quiet and I don't talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, another insecurity might be I'm really big and loud and I'm going to be brash and I'll be crass and yeah, be point. the jokester. Yeah. Or be the smartest person in the I'll room. I'll be really, really smart. Or I'll be the, I'll be the good the, boy. I'll make sure I do everything that, right. Follow all right. the rules. So we, it just shows up yeah. differently. Scott, talking about tendencies, I want you to tell Jamie the story when we were on number four, the hill at number four, when we were watching people tee off on number eight. And I kind of want you to tell him just how you pick up on those patterns and we were talking about earlier well, I don't before know the show how started I pick up on them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we were talking about before the show started about how like you can't like you just pick up you've seen enough you've seen enough to where you can just tell and i'm curious jamie before scott tells that story are you somebody who can like for example on the enneagram test could you look at somebody and be like yeah that that one's a, a two that one's a three that one's a seven uh, it takes a little interaction but sure. it doesn't take long to, to notice some of the patterns sure, sure, yeah sure. Gotcha. You get on the correct side of the wheel most of the time. Um, but I, I don't know how I do it. So um, one instance was like there's a lot of dynamic features. Um, 
I can't remember what my Myers-Briggs is. I had it done in, uh, with a counselor sitting with Rebecca. We were in some marriage counseling and he was looking at Rebecca like, Rebecca, Scott literally feels like everything with his entire body. Like she's like, I feel too. He's like, no, no, no. This is a different, <laughs> like, it's like, That's oh, he's very, empath, he's, yeah. he's very, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm a feeler. It's Sensory? Like, like, she's like, well, yeah, he's touchy feels like it's not touchy feet. Like it's an entire, like, when I told uh, it's how he interacts with the world. No, that, that's an yeah. empath. You were absorbing right. literally all that energy. And so, like when I had that that player we were talking about earlier, that I was like, they have it. I said, I can't. I can tell you what to do with video over the internet, whatever. But like, I need to see it, and I can feel it. I can feel what I need to do. And so, what was happening? We were out on number four. And so four, seven, and eight are in this like little triangle over there. And so we're not in the way of any of them. And these guys are walking off the green on seven. And that's all I saw. I saw them walk off the green, put their clubs in their bag, and get in the cart and drive. And I was like, all right, Jack, that guy's going to look like this. That guy's going to look like this. This guy's going to do that. And sure enough, sure enough all 100%. four of them wow. dead on. 100%. Now... There's two other levels we've gone. I gave a lesson uh, to, to my buddy, to your buddy, with my eyes closed. He, my buddy was having a hard time hitting his driver, and so I was like, "Well, you know, let's go hit some balls at Franklin Bridge. I think Scott will be there." So I texted Scott, and I'm like, "Hey, can you, um, you know, can you take five, five, ten minutes and and work with my buddy for a bit?" And he said. I will on one except with one exception. I'm going to do it with my eyes closed. And we've been talking about it. We've like been going to practice doing this. Yeah, yeah we yeah. had talked about it because like I'm I'm the kingpin. Like I'm at the I'm at the pinnacle of like there's nobody over me. Mm-hmm. And at this point in my career, from a teaching standpoint, there will not there won't be anybody over me. It sounds arrogant me. for people who might be listening, and maybe even for you, Jamie. But I promise you, when I when he says that. He says it with like such humility, and I've seen him no, work uh, in such a way where it's just I so totally again, believe it. Energetically, uh, I don't hear arrogance. What I hear is just uh, um, a casual confidence, and it's an observer mm. who's noticed what he's done and has accepted his mastery. And I think you are aware enough to make that claim, where somebody else might be like, "Well, he sounds like a yeah, yeah, he yeah. sounds pretty." Because well, if it that. tags their insecurity, there we go. If he reminds them of someone else, if they wish they were him. Yeah, yeah. Jealousy often provokes insecurity or transference. There we if go. You, if you sound like my dad or my other coach or my other, sometimes I project on you the pain that I had with that person. Yep. So good. All right. Sorry. Resume. Yeah. So, but I told Jack that because like I, we had been talking about it. I want to give a lesson with my eyes closed because I can hear with my ears what the ball did. Be like, well, yeah, that one sounded solid. I was like, no, no, no. We're not talking solid. Like I can tell you if it faded five yards, eight yards, whatever. Like I can tell you what the ball did with my eyes closed back turned to you and so i said i need checks on me what better way to do that than to remove <laughs> one of my features uh, remove my eyes 90 percent of our information that we take in from the world is from our eyes so if i remove that <laughs> i then engage i have to engage everything yeah. else and see what i know and i might totally fail i'm totally fine with yeah. that. yeah i need to have checks on me and so by doing that like only thing I saw was him walk up and I shook his hand. So I did have some minor context, but I didn't know what the swing actually looked like. Mm. I could have an idea, but I just listened to some shots with my eyes closed, put my hands on him. Uh, I said, make a backswing for me. And I just kept, I just put my hands on certain parts of his body to like sense where the thing may be. 
And then I said, all right, I want you to start down. And I was like, that's it right there. All right. Then I knew what to fix. Got him, mm. got him to do it. And then he hit these hooks for a little bit. I was like, it's hooking, right? Yeah. I said, all right. Uh, and then at that point I knew by basing on where I placed my hands, I needed to step in and just change one thing in his setup and we were done. And so I went in, changed that one thing. And at this point I opened my eyes. As soon as I, like I looked at Jack, I was like, that's going to be it. And then just hitting pellets. And then you all went out and played like three or four holes, didn't you? Right after? Yeah, we did. And he, he hit a few really well. I will say that I've played with him recently and he's back to hitting the hook, but it's only because he didn't practice. <laughs> so right. it's been going on. But like, so that was a, but a I nice challenge. When he showed up, I, I believe he was hitting slices. Yeah, he's sitting to the right. Yeah, I believe. so it's like yeah. you've, you've already fixed one trait. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Now it's all about the next and one. And so like where are, where are my checks on me and this winter i did this it took me way more time and like if we look at the amount of dollars i'm getting paid by the hour to do all this extra work behind the scenes i did it 14 page evals on 34 adult students and so the eval has every position of the swing it's basically like a scientific study we've got video we have their track mandated with where the ball was hit with four different clubs all of their injury history, all like of all of this context. Uh, I don't have the in-person interaction. It's somebody else film it. Hmm. So I don't get to use that. Hmm. I have no, right. so I'm trying to go and pull back as far as I can. Like what is actually true without any influence from me. Um, and so I go through in detail every position. It took me 90 minutes to complete every eval. So you mm. do that times 34 yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That took some time. I mean, it's a whole extra week of work. Well, it took me a month to do it. Well, yeah, I have a full-time job. Right. Like, why did you do it? Uh, I, a, I didn't think it was going to take that long. <laughs> uh, but like once I get in it, I can't half do it. Like it's not my personality to half do it. And so it took me more time. I had to let go of like being worried that they were going to get it in time. Mm -hmm. It's basically an MRI on mm -hmm. their golf game. Right. And so every position was detailed out with no opinions. It was like left thumb pointed to right shoulder, right thumb pointed to nose. Now typically somebody would go, we have a strong left hand, a weak right hand. I'm not, not assigning any rightness or wrongness to anything. I'm just stating what is there factually. Mm -hmm. Here's what it is. And so going through that process, I was able to, some of these people had already taken lessons from me. Some haven't taken any at all. I was able to recognize certain things that I tend to leave alone. And so I'm catching myself on threads of where I was off. So yeah, was it expensive in terms of my time to do that and my energy? And I was exhausted after this last month and a half it took me to complete it yeah but i think you gave yourself time, your own master's class i yeah i took myself through that whole process and was able to pull those threads and catch where i was off and how to communicate that better and then when i went in and started teaching i was able to do my normal adapting and some of the things i decided i'm not even gonna go that route i'm gonna actually go this route so for and people so, who want to know about mastery listening to this right here this is a phenomenal example of what a master does. A master puts limits and constraints on his own mastery to identify how can he do it better? How can he do it different? That That's what true masters do. You go, well, you're already at the top of your game. Like, well, just coast. A master doesn't coast. A master looks for new ways to create limits, to create constraints. It's it's why you see this even in martial arts. Like, okay, this guy's got his arm tied behind him, or he's gonna he's gonna break it with his forehead instead of his hand. Like, there's always this. A master is looking to continue to push and excel and grow and expand and see. That's mastery. 
So anybody who's like, I want to be a master to think, to me, Scott, you're giving us a wonderful example of what intuitively happens when you're right there smack dab in the middle of your craft and you want to continue to expand who you are. It's funny that it's funny that he says that. And like, I appreciate the compliment too. We were closing on the house the other day, sitting in the room with, you know, there's five of us in there and the lawyer across the table who's handing me the papers to sign, she's left-handed and she's signing everything left-handed. Now, all I've seen is her take three steps in and sit there left-handed. That's it. And I remember texting Jack and a few other guys. I said, well, um, she's left-handed and I had to stop her midway. I was like, I'm sorry. I, this is a really random, totally unrelated question, but you played a bunch of sports right-handed as a kid, didn't you? I can't tell you where that oh I'm sitting there. Gosh. I'm sitting there thinking, I have to ask her. I think I know. I'm and pretty, I, love you. I'm like, pretty I don't even know how I know this, but I'm pretty sure I know this. <laughs> yeah. And she said, yeah, like virtually every sport I played right-handed as a kid and I played a lot of them. I was like, I knew she played sports. Oh All I saw her take three steps in, sit there, write everything left-handed. And somebody was like, oh, that's because this is why you don't share certain things with certain <laughs> people. I shared it with somebody and they were like, oh, that's, well, yeah, they're like they're left-handed and when she was younger, you know, there weren't a lot of kids playing left-handed sports. I was like, that, that wasn't it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It wasn't a, it wasn't a step of logic. Yes, yes, yes. It was I'm a curious. step of total intuition yeah, yeah. and sensing like, I just know that she was right-handed and I can tell you what her golf swing looks like and she hasn't done any sort of large enough movement for me to see what her arms and hands do okay so that was what i was going to ask is because i was thinking all right well how would i feel that if i was you and i was i was thinking you well can't. i feel like you might have like somewhat of a weaker left hand rather than a what rather than the right the the thing is i see way more than that the brain's processing yeah. somewhere depending on the piece of information you look at and depending on how you define stat. a de- depending on how you define a bit of information, somewhere on the order of 10 to 50 million bits of information every single second. And that's why people go, oh, you saw that, or you saw that one thing. I was like, mm it's all of it. Like, my brain's literally sucking in all of it. And the day that I could tell the sound of a golf shot, I mean, we used to, I mean some of you have heard this story a ton of times, but, like, you haven't heard it, which is kind of cool. I'm sitting there, and Hank had taught for over 50 years at that point. I'm just sitting there, and, like, he would always write notes at the end of lessons, and for several years... He'd be finishing up five minutes left in the lesson. He's just making their notes. And he said, you know, that was a great one. And like, I'm sitting next to him. Like I'm looking up at him. Like, <laughs> like he, trying to look he at wasn't watching. Right, I was right. like, you're not watching. You can't see it. Blah, 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 blah. And then one year, it's about seven years in finishing up with a young girl, Katie Tangy, turning around, about to give a lesson to Grayson Gladden. These moments like stand oh, yeah, out. Yeah, right. right. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm looking at Grayson with my back turned to Katie because I'm about to start with Grayson. And I said, Grayson, did that? That drew like five yards, didn't it? She said, yeah. I was like, hmm. I didn't, the first one, I was like, oh, whatever. I kept talking to her and Katie kept hitting. I was like, that one started a little right and stayed over there, right? Yeah. That one faded, didn't it? Yeah. I was like, he could hear it. <laughs> like, That's when you put it together. That's like, hysterical. He could hear it. He knew what the swing looked like by the sound. And the only time I've had that without knowing anything about the student was I was in here giving a lesson in this corner with my back turned to the driving range looking at the student right-handed. And Ken Mayer was sitting back here. He's helped us get this whole studio up. And I stopped and I stopped the student. It just stood out to me. And I looked at Ken. I was like, I can tell you what the swing looks like. 
I could just tell by the sound this I said it had to be somebody who's older who can't move very well and their hands go like this with a little wedge shot. Mm. I can tell you by the sound. I can tell you exactly where it got hit in the face and how the club interacted with the turf. And I didn't know. I, I was like, I was kind of afraid to look. It's like, <laughs> I bet I'm wrong. <laughs> I have to be wrong. It's like the uh, it's like the show Limitless. He takes the takes the pill and certainly he suddenly he can see, see colors. Yeah. <laughs> and so like I stick my head out and sure enough, the guy had to be 280 pounds, old, overweight, probably in his late 60s, and just this little thing in his oh hands in his forward swing. I was like, that was the swing. It's the only time I've been able to do it without seeing it. Wow. Just off my ears. But this and is, without having context. This is, this is Gretzky. This is all the great ones. I mean, Gretzky says, look, I wasn't the greatest athlete in the world, but I knew when, you, when the puck was hit, I knew where it would go. I knew exactly where it would be at all times on the ice. Yeah, it, it, well, this is millions me- of reps. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. And it you is, know the beautiful thing about Gretzky, the Gretzky example is that even now with some of the greats, Ovechkin, Crosby, some of the guys who will be forever cemented in the sport will never even get close it's to crazy. Gretzky. And so for me, like hearing Scott say that, all the things that he just said, you can be like, well, Scott, like, come on, like, you don't really like see that. But with Gretzky, like, he's got the statistics yep, to prove yep, it. Yep. And so that kind of like yeah. cements to me that people like Scott or, or people who have interactions with music or however yes, you may see it, yes. you're like, oh, that's real. Yeah. That's, a, that's something. Yep. Well, and it's like, I don't know, like, I'm always trying to learn something new. I, like, that's one of my, if you use the uh, Strengths Finder mm-hmm. assessment, Learner's one of my top five. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know, I just enjoy learning stuff. And I was at a, I was at Pinehurst two weeks ago for an awards conference. And there are two other guys presenting. One's the 2013 National Teacher of the Year. Now, he doesn't teach tour players, which is pretty rare for a guy to win that award. But, like, the award's starting to shift a little bit towards, like, what it is, that's, what does it mean to be a teacher? Mm, so it's the identity that's of cool. that shifting a little yeah, bit, which is good, that. I think. Um, it's definitely easier if you've got tour players to win that award. Right. It's the highest award you can win. And I've used two of the things that he presented there. And, you know, you see other teaching pros, they're like, oh, that, but like, it can't be that. Like, that's so, that's so like basic. Like, you can't do that. Like, there's got to be a better way. And you don't, like, I'm going, I've used, two of the main things that he talked about multiple times and they've worked every time. Mm. But I'm not, like, it's not in my, like, I wasn't afraid to just go ahead and go try it. If right, it right, work, right. Who cares? Right. Because I'll give it a learning. shot. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. try it. Like, I'm good enough. If it doesn't work, I can redirect, maneuver the lesson, and the student never think it's something different. They think it's the same thing in the same language, but it's, uh, we're just going to do it a different way yes. or try this a different way. And so, like, wasn't afraid of that. Yeah. And this other gentleman, I did some stuff on the mindset. He uh, works with professional athletes all over the world. And so, like, the stuff's been fantastic. But it's not mine. Yeah. But I'm learning it. Yeah. And it'll become mine. And it'll get, you know, that's exactly right. Right. That's different. That's right. unique to me. And then it'll, it'll have its own expression as it comes out of you. Right. right. And so, like, I don't know. People are so afraid of that awkwardness and like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be wrong. I don't care if I'm wrong. I remember Hank telling me early when I first started teaching and he first got me certified to teach and he's like, Scott, go ahead and fix it. I'm like, but he said, you're gonna make people worse. It's a part of the learning process. And so it sucks. Good. And yes. now they're paying you money yeah. for it, but they're taking a risk. Yeah. And like you there's no other way for you to learn than to mess people up. <laughs> But like he trained us so much and the training was so in depth that the number of people that are a year into teaching that 
somebody else would make right, worse. Right, right, right. The number of people that I would make worse would be a lot shorter. Plus, if I got stuck, I had somebody yep. with 50 years of experience yep. who I could lean into. He used to say, you can't screw it up so bad that I can't fix it. <laughs> and so, like, I used to be afraid to ask him for help because it looks like weakness. It's actually not. It's a sign of security and strength. That's exactly right. But Jamie, I've got a question for you, man. Um, so Scott does this winter program called Cracking the Code, where he takes a, a limited group of individuals and has them practice all throughout the winter in hopes that when spring comes around, you'll be exponentially better, right? My question to you would be, that seems like a, a perfect place for somebody like you to come speak to individuals like that. And so I'm curious when you're when you're preparing to to speak to a group of people, let's say you're going to be speaking to that cracking the code group, how would your preparation and how would your um, keynote speech start or go or, or theorize in yeah. your opinion? I just spoke. Uh, there's a company called, called D1. I don't know if you've interacted with any of guys, Will and Dan. All those guys are amazing people. Um, and I I just spoke. At, they had a national thing in Dallas and. As I sat with Will and Dan, and we were preparing for it, and talked about, hey, you know, these are franchise franchisee owners, and all, you know, what do you want to talk about? And ultimately, and I've done a lot of coaching with those guys and their company, and it came back to, hey, can can you go back to those triangles, which are what we talked about are in the book? Can you go back to that? Because fundamentally, whatever the thing is, whether it's a skill, whether it's business, whether it's whatever, it all comes back to your relationship with yourself. So you 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 talked about hey when it comes to insecurity you're just talking about hey I, I don't you don't have to be afraid if I'm insecure if I'm afraid if I live as the victim then I don't have any power which means I'm going to show up in the world reacting and the magic is when I stop reacting and I start being intentional so I want to be the activator not the person who's reacting. If I'm always reacting, usually my ego's in play. I'm in fight, flight, or freeze because I'm reacting and I just want to stay alive. Freeze sucks. And freeze sucks. It's Gosh. horrible. And Which, by the way, is my dominant place to go. I'm not a big fighter. I don't run a lot. I freeze. I do too. And uh, while we, <laughs> we got three of us. Yeah. <laughs> if I roll over and play dead or and avoid this, right, it's going to go away, right? No, no, it's just going to get bigger and you're going to deal with it at some point. And, but that's our ego that's just trying to keep us alive. When I get outside of that and I, and I get out of that victim and I move up in, in, so in our language into the green triangle, green triangle is about ownership boundaries and negotiation. The power position, and by power, I don't mean power over, I mean empowered, is when I take ownership. When do I go, wait a second, no matter what has happened to me, because here's the thing, everybody's been victimized, right? We've all had moments of betrayal or maybe abuse or whatever. Therapists say, especially when they have abuse victims sitting in front of them. Hey, the moment you were abused, you were a victim. And the next moment, you were not. That's, I remember telling Jamie one of our lessons, he said that same thing, and I was reminded of what a counselor told me when I was working through depression, anxiety, and stress. And I didn't have any boundaries. I didn't set boundaries. Mm. I just let everybody run all over my boundaries all the time. And so I had none. Mm. And so then the boundaries I don't have over here over like run yep. over these boundaries yep. over yep. there. And like yep. all my relationships go to crap. Yep. And he's after he had developed some trust, we're back to that trust thing. Mm -hmm. He said, Scott, at some point you're no longer a victim. You're a volunteer. Mm. And I was like, Oh, that one hurts. Yeah. But like, I had enough. The trust. truth will hurt you, but first it'll piss but you that's off. Where we move, <laughs> but that's where we move to the empowerment yeah. part. Yeah, and it's like okay, I don't have to try to like pick a boundary. Like he started small. We talked about Ramsey a little bit. Yeah. Like Ramsey understood human motivation yep. of like thousand dollars in the savings account, 
I have all these. I don't care about all the debts. And then we're going to knock off the smallest. Yep. It might be $50. Because we're back to like awkward and unfamiliar. Take one step. Make one choice. Choose not to be a victim and go, I'm going to make a choice today. Yeah, I'm carrying scars and wounds from a thing, but I'm in charge of my life. I'm not wait. Otherwise, I live at the mercy of other people. That's why victimization is hell. It's hell being a victim because you're at the mercy of maybe whether or not somebody else. How many times have you tried to change the external behavior of another person so that you could feel better? You lose every time. <laughs> you lose because they, you can't do it. There's no power. So instead, so one, I remember one of the first things I had a counselor say to me too early on was, hey, if you're in a conversation and the conversation is escalated, at any point in time you could go, hey, this doesn't work for me. You know, I'm going to push pause and step away. And First of all, I was like you. I was like, wait, you're allowed to do that? So first of all, I was like, that's okay to sit about it. And I remember coming back to him and I'm like, hey, I tried that thing you told me. That person escalated. I told them they, didn't, they needed to stop yelling. He's like, yeah, that's not what I told you. I'm like, no, 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 I told him to stop. He's like, did it work? No. He's like, yeah, because that's not a boundary. That's you attempting behavior modification on the other human being. Good luck, especially with another adult. You didn't say I'm out. (laughs) You didn't just like stop and say I'm out. No, instead of saying, you know what? This doesn't work for me. I'm going to step away. Well, and it reminds me, this is so much fun when we tie back to old podcasts. 100%. When we had Ken and Don on here. Yeah. And like... He's in, um, he does firearms training and um, self defense. Oh, yeah. You were telling me about this guy. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, he, um, badass. He said, he's insane. You win every fight that you don't get into. Yeah, that's good. And so, like, most of what they teach is avoidance yeah, yeah, of yeah. those things. Like, and Jocko's talked about it too. Like, um, somebody comes up and asks, like, they're ready to fight you. Yeah. So, I can just run. Yeah. Well, because here's like the thing that's too. their first instinct. Like, right. I don't know anything about this first. Right. When you're in their line I'm of out. work, I have a right. choice. I don't right. have to fight. Right. When you're in their line of work, though, it's it's two two things. It's binary. You either you live or you die. Yeah. Right. And so what he's saying is like, you win every fight. You don't get yeah. you don't get into. It's like, oh, I never thought about that. But that's interesting because, and I'm curious if you can add into this, Jamie, is because when you're dealing with a binary, it, it feels very easy to pick which one right right? and so i feel like some people get tied into a knot of of infinite possibilities right and and, yeah you're right so let's go back to the the ego right so we're grateful because the ego keeps us alive Mm -hmm. so we're back to like thank you because there's a moment where you're gonna keep you may keep me alive it's a binary choice right now and and i i bless that you kept me alive for a long time for that uh, old evolutionary part of our brain, the limbic system, the lizard brain, the monkey brain, whatever you want to call it. That is my fight, flight, or freeze, and it's going to keep me alive. Thank you. Uh, and Except when it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and and I won't. Sur- I, I will not. I may survive, but I won't thrive in that place. That's correct. Because it's just survival. So we honor the fact that it's survival, but it's just. But that's all it is. So surviving then means I get to take responsibility and I get to take ownership over my life. And what I love about what these guys talked about is like, I get to own my own choice. Running is an option. Mm, Yeah. Right. I, I get to make a choice. A a really good, this would be a good exercise for listeners. If you're, if you, if anybody's out there and you feel stuck and you're like, I feel stuck in my marriage, I feel stuck in my job. I feel stuck in this thing. This is a great question to ask yourself. Is this an, I have to, or an, I get to. I love that. Do I have to? Because if I have to, that carries a whole lot of energy with it. Mm-hmm. Or do I get to? Do I have to be married or do I get to be married? 
trust me, you will show up way differently as a spouse, yeah. depending on which energy you well, And shifts. that decision is binary, your... right? Because like one thing that I've asked myself in my job is I've been like, oh man, I have to make 50 calls today. And then I immediately switch and I'm like, you know what? I get to make 50 calls today. And that's, that is the binary choice, I feel like. Yeah. You know, well, well binary or, or it is flipping the mindset or the infinite possibilities are, or I'll make 25 calls and I won't hit my goals or I'll quit yeah. my job or, uh, right. So it's binary in terms of the mindset, but possibilities are still endless. Correct. But I feel like sometimes if you can simplify it enough to where like, oh man, that is the catalyst that I need to make a change. Well, yeah, I think, I think yeah, that yeah, ties yeah, yeah. to the way your book is structured too. Because it's ownership. So it's an invitation to ownership. I get to choose my mindset at any given moment of any any given day. I get to choose. I get to. I don't have to, but I get to. And if I make this choice, it's going to change how I experience life. Yeah. And that choice sits in front of us at any minute of any day. You know, it's interesting when people have, you know, talked about us like doing these podcasts late, like Jack gets to come do the podcast. Yeah. Like we both enjoy this and this is therapeutic for me yeah. in a lot of ways of like... This is probably the most real version of me a lot of times is mm. here because, like, it's just there's nobody else. I don't yeah. have to prove anything to anybody. Yeah. And I think it's helped me not have to prove mm. anything in my normal context. That's good. But, and for me, it's it's been a way to where I feel like a lot of people, I, I think you might be able to tell I'm very comfortable <laughs> in front of people. But for me, it's it's been a way to see people in the clubhouse and like, oh, you're the you're the podcast guy. Mm. And it makes me feel like I've got a larger impact or I have, um, I'm known, I'm known more. I feel more seen, more known, more yeah. heard. And then it opens me up to then be more free with how mm -hmm. I interact, how I am here on this piece of property. And it's just like, it's been a very freeing thing. And does it allow you to feel more confident as you walk up to people? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, one of the fundamental aspect of the human experience is we long to be seen and known. But the difference and what's interesting on the podcast form is that Sometimes I will say it's given me definitely more confidence to go and talk to people because it gives me that more credibility, right? Mm -hmm. They feel like they know me, but in the same way, you know, it's just us three in the camera today, mm -hmm. you know, like it doesn't feel like I'm giving a keynote speech in front of a thousand people yeah, yeah, yeah. done. So yeah. it's like that. I think that's uh, maybe a difference maker. You know, it's funny about this choice thing. Like the thing I hated as a kid and even in college was getting chosen to like have to answer hmm. hated that hmm. um why like when i because i didn't know if i was going to get it right or wrong and what everybody else was going to think about uh, me if i screw it up yeah, right like, that mattered then I, I don't know and so if you didn't tell he knew the answer to your question yeah I know, I know <laughs> i know and so um but i you know thinking about the mentors that i've had over the years um I, my college coach i think started the fixing of this process because golf demands more of like school time than any other sport mm. because you leave on a Sunday, you leave on a Saturday, so you don't miss any school. You do a practice on Sunday, you're gone Monday, Tuesday, playing your tournament, you're back on, so you miss three days. Mm. So you might, if for one of those classes, you might miss it twice in a week wow. and you got exams and all that. And so like he told us, you're going to sit in the front of every class. You get there, you get there early for your classes in that first week. You get there, you sit in the front because that changes the teacher's perspective. You hand them, these are, he hands us a piece of paper. These are the things that may happen to, these are the days I might miss if I qualify. And then once you've qualified, and qualifying was always ahead of time enough where like the teacher professor got enough days, hmm. four or five days. Either I take the test early, I make it up, I take a different one, all that sort of stuff. But he also said, I want you to 
ask questions or go into the professor's office and ask each professor once a month. Mm. He said, even if you're acing the class and you don't have a question, make one up. Go anyway. And so for me, that process became not that I had a choice. Like me raising my hand said, I get to I get to choose when I get called on. Plus, when I start raising my hand, I don't. They're not going to call on me more often. They're not going to call on me. That was always my hack in school. I would always volunteer, so I never got called. (laughs) And so, because it feels out of control, and so like it feels, Uh. it feels like I'm the victim again, and I'm just stuck here playing the victim all the time. And so, when I went to this thing at Pinehurst. And I've been doing this in the last number of presentations and teaching summits that I've gone to. It's like, have any volunteers? Like, now I'm scared. I do not want to raise my hand. Like every time I know that's coming, like if we, if I had a whoop on, I mean, my heart rate's probably in the one sixties, like no problem <laughs> like that. But I'm like, I have, I have to do this. Like this is, a- it's a power position where your what your coach taught you was again, did you notice there wasn't reactive? Now it's intentional. Yeah. And the intentional gives you a position of confidence because I'm choosing as opposed to I'm living at the arbitrary, who knows when, I'm in the ambiguity, they may or may not ask me. That's a, a That level of uncertainty can often create this disharmony or this fear. Yeah. And so what he was saying was, here's the way to get around that. Also, by the way, you're going to create an emotional connection with this professor who in the subtleties and nuances of grading papers and 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 allowing exceptions to the rule is going to have a connection with you and go, you know what? You've been responsible. You've came. You've talked to me, right? You've come. You've talked you've to me. You've been proactive. Yeah. And so as a result, you've built respect. And now suddenly when you're gone, it's seen through a different light. We didn't. We didn't make any sense of that when we were... When you are doing it. It's Interesting. Just like, it's just what we do and... You know, we would hear our teammates go like, oh, "Professor hates when I get like I can't be there on the Friday." I'm like, I don't have any problems with the professor. Uh, we never had a single problem with a professor ever. Isn't that interesting? Was there zero victimization? None. Total ownership. And our team, our team unity was like, hmm. we had no captains. Hmm. Natural leaders rise to the surface. We trusted the leaders that came on. We got a vote when new players were coming in. Like he's like, I'm down to these two or three. Let him come and stay. We had the final. Wow! Set. Because he knew that's tremendous leadership. He trusted. He's now the associate women's head coach at Duke University, who's wow. won seven of the last wow. twenty national championships. Not a surprise. Yeah, that's where he should be. Yeah. And like, once you're named associate, wow. you know that you're about to take over the wow. head. Wow. He was on the podcast too. Yeah, we had. Him oh, on very back. cool. He's phenomenal. And so, you know, I texted him the other day. One of their girls that graduated there a year and a half ago, two years ago. She's now one of the top LPGA players, uh, Leona McGuire. Wow. And I said, you have to be so proud, like John. We don't call him coach, we call him John. You know, oh. We call him John. And so um, he said, I'm proud of all of you. Like he doesn't make a distinction uh. between, like just because you're famous and you're winning tournaments or top fiving all the time, or you're over here being accountant. Like there's no... There's no, no separation it's good. because it's the character traits that you exhibit, not the performance. Of I also you. think that there's a reason why he said, I'm proud of all of you. Cause I've had, I've been on teams where coaches are like, I'm proud of you guys. And then I'm like sitting, I'm like, I didn't do anything today, coach. 
and when he says like i'm proud of all of you it gives everybody a sense of like oh i'm a part of this well-oiled machine i don't think that's a coincidence no, at all no we we basically had no bad eggs we had one guy that was on the fringe that ended up you know not playing on the team anymore but like he basically got pushed out by the group coach never had to push him out like the group just kind of naturally kind of pushed him to the side mm. it wasn't out of disrespect it was just the natural nature of things the unity of the team pushed that one bad egg it's like we've talked about this with you watch a goose that gets injured it gets left apart because it could get diseased yeah, it could get right, attacked right. it could get like they're all vulnerable and so it yeah pushes it out isn't that wild it's so cool to see that we exhibit the exact same yeah characteristics unintentionally uh, that's amazing Gosh. Now, the difference in humans, though, is I've seen this on teams who have a really strong identity is that when somebody's messing around, they'll whip them right back into shape. Yeah. You know, so I think that's there's a, accountability, there's a, right? There's a right, group yeah, accountability yeah. to it. And to your point, and if you don't want to get on board, you don't have to be here. Right. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But here are the boundaries for the team. This is how we're going to exist. This is the culture. You may or may not want to be in this. Crazy. I'm st- like the number of places I've been, the ranch where I met Rebecca at, um, it's a full working guest ranch in Colorado, Lost Valley Ranch. There's a zero tolerance, no dating policy. Like if you are one-on-one with somebody of the opposite sex over hanging out, you are gone the next day. Now, guess what? Most of these are seasonal jobs, right? You're there for two or three months. Right. They're like, they kept it we're covert, not, Jamie. They we're kept not it covert. I, right. I know it's uh, this is a camp for celibacy. Is that the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it's like, it's a, it's a Christian run and owned. Like, so that's, they're like, we're not anti-dating. Yeah. You're we're just not, not going to date while you're here. While you're here. Yeah. Like that's, that's our boundary yeah. because you, we are here to serve these guests in the way that Christ loved the church. And if we're in all of this, like emotional drama, you like him or her for a week or two. Cause we know how all that goes when mm-hmm. you're on an emotional mm-hmm. job like that, all these emotions. And like, you start to realize the wisdom that's in it. Cause as the conversations happen, it's like, I had a crush on her. Ooh, I don't like her. I had a crush on him. Yep. Ooh, I don't like him. Like They just eliminated the drama and said, right. yeah, knock yourself out just not while you're here. So I worked at a Christian sports camp in Pennsylvania called Summer's Best Two Weeks, and they pump out a bunch of marriages out of there. Nobody pumps out more than Lost Valley Ranch, and they had a no dating policy. Crazy. Because it took, it took all of the emotional drama, and you got to see, like, and groups started to congregate. So you'd have, mm-hmm. like, four or five mm-hmm. people hang out together, and so they got deeper friendships, but it was in a safe space we're yeah. here to serve those people for two to three months y'all can for y'all can forego for two or three months and if you don't you're gone yeah that's fine well and if 10 of you decide to screw that up we'll survive with 40 of us instead of 50 you're gonna learn some self-restraint while you're here yeah and it was so good like the yeah. number of people are like man we've been to ranches before but like nobody serves like y'all do so it's a little different than yellowstone yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> a lot you know but it's so like to see the wisdom of these organizations and these coaches, yeah, different ways, but same principles. Yeah, beautiful. John, so, do you have a uh, wait? Sorry, finish your thought. Well, I was gonna ask um to Jamie, what is there? Was there a situation or a speaking engagement that you went to that that gave you a challenge? And I think that like one thing that I I heard from I like Scott here is that like that that policy was put into place, but. Like it, it worked out for the right reasons. I'm just curious if you ran into anybody or any like tough challenge to where you're like, oh crap, I'm not prepared for this, but then you possibly learned something afterwards. That is my, uh, my number one nightmare. 
So my number one nightmare is I'm speaking somewhere and I'm unprepared. It is the recurring nightmare all the time. And it's crazy because my 10,000 hours isn't speaking. I, pretty much if you give me a topic, I probably can talk at some level about it, right? But that is the... That is the that that is the 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 fear. He's gonna have some nightmares tonight. Oh yeah, thanks. Well, say, thanks for that. Appreciate that, Jack. <laughs> well, and if no. if not, that's that's totally fine. I was just curious no, if somebody's I, asked you a question that's been like, oh crap, like that's really insightful, really genuine. I haven't even heard about that or theorized about it. No, difficult difficult people that you've worked with. They bring you in expecting one thing. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think I'm probably wired a little bit like you. Like, it's all it is is a challenging moment. Yeah, yeah. And it's an opportunity to uh, pivot and adjust to whatever their need is. Uh, I'm wired a little bit like Scott in that I'm I'm very much an empath, so I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling things that I can't totally articulate articulate either in the moment. So. Uh, the truth of the matter is I kind of love those moments. Fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was going to say, that might be I, not why you aren't able to make a connection to that question. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of love them, which is kind of bizarre why that's my nightmare, but I, it's actually one of my... Like, I kind of like life without a net. Um, a couple of the TV shows we're working on, one of them was a, is a coaching show, so it's a little bit of like... Um, Dr. Phil meets Oprah kind of vibe. It's a little bit like a talk show where we interview someone, tell the story of going from surviving to thriving. But you get a cell phone. And you get a cell <laughs> and we phone. We give everybody free cell phones. <laughs> no, and then, but then after that, I do live coaching with the audience. And I know other people that have done this, Tony Robbins and others, and they, they prompt, like you get information on people ahead of time. So you have a little bit of a window into their world or what's going on. So I knew nothing, just a live audience. I, I know absolutely nothing. And I'm like, Let's go. We're going to go to the audience. And so they literally would just stand up and ask a question. I had to, in the moment, be present to whatever their need was and then give them something tangible and meaningful and maybe even an action for them in the moment. So I I kind of like the challenge. I think it's what you talked about with with your eyes closed. I like I kind of welcome that moment. So I don't have I don't have one that I don't have one that jumps out. Love it. I, I have Wow, that was a perfect answer to my question, yeah, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's, especially once you get to a certain level of skill, like you have to have those challenges. Yeah. And, you know, I think about, back to Hank a little bit, but is, he said, Scott, if you think you have all the answers, you just haven't heard all the questions. Hmm. And so it's not that we don't run into problems we don't have the answers to, but like we welcome the challenge because it makes us have to work through the the things that we do know and I'm, to be able to deliver value to them that's in one right. way, shape, or form. Part of it is I don't feel pressure to have an answer. My job is to have the question. I genuinely believe everyone has the answers within them. My job is to help unlock whatever it is that has them blind. Very true, yeah. Yeah. So my job is like, I'm going to mirror back. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to do, right? So it's really finding the right question. Now, again, I've told, I told when we started, I said I spent a lot of my time as a linguist. I'm handing you words. I'm handing you phrases. I'm like, does this sound like what you're saying? And people will go, oh, yeah, that's it. Okay, so, so then let me say that again. And then sometimes I'll frame it up a little bit differently. Because especially when people are recalling things, no one has a perfect memory. No, you don't. No. You only remember a version of what you 
thought you experienced. And, and isn't it's it almost always attached to an emotion. It's oh, a game of telephone. That's right. yeah. yeah. And isn't it interesting? You in your twenties, you might be like, "Yeah, this was the most horrible thing that happened." And then your forties, you're like, "Well, this was actually my teacher." And then your fifties, you're like, "That was the greatest gift in my life." <laughs> right. and, in, and in your seventies, you're like, "What happened?" Like, right? <laughs> like, you know, so and even then, you remember it differently, like, right? So, and, and, and so I. That's the thing is, my job is just to keep asking things to get people to go into into their inner world and find what's resonating and find what's true. Well, it's funny. People ask, like, so should I feel this? I was like, I don't know what you're supposed to feel. I ain't got a clue. Now, as I get to know them and I can get them to articulate their feels and I can put my hands on where they're at, I can start to know what it's like to be you, but I'll still never fully know what it's like. So my job is to put them where they need to be and let them. Yes. They're still taking the swing. Right. Like, is I love this. Like, if I have to be the one to give you the answer all the time, then it's never yours. It's always mine. Yeah. Scott told me to. Well, Scott said, and at some point you want that to shift into, wait, you tell what me. I know is true is this. And then act. Yeah. It's interesting, too. Whenever I'm talking to somebody about um, a lesson that we've done or some knowledge that you've given me, I always frame it as we are working on this and never like Scott told me to do this. Yeah. And I, I find that interesting that you're talking, they never own it. I own it. I was just like, well, you've always... I feel so empowered with my own golf game because you've given me the tools to do it myself. And that's part of it. Sometimes I'm like, why didn't Scott just like give me, tell me what to do here? And I'm like, and then I start to get like ticked off at you. And then like a, two, a couple to. months down the road, I'll be like, oh, I, I own this. Like this yeah, is mine. That's good. <laughs> it's, it's not, I have to come back and see you to keep on getting tuned up. Well, and so like when I tell somebody they need to work on this, that's the only thing they need to work on. Mm. Like I know it's, the only thing they need to work on. They're like, what about this? What? I'm like, no, stay here. Now, with that said, they have to find their own way to do that and feel that and sense that and put it in, it's not even words, put it in a sensation or an understanding that they a muscle memory can hold on to. Which means the they have to have an experience. Answer, right? yeah, yeah, you're right. They you're have right. to have, have an experience. They yeah. Or they get to have an experience. Right. And so, like, I think what makes me so good at what I do and I think what makes Jamie so good at what he does is we as quickly as we can take it out of our hands and put it in theirs Mm -hmm. now there is some education that's involved sure like they don't just get to have the total answer all by themselves we have to guide them and lead them through if they have some really bad lines of thinking we have to help them see the kind of errors in that and redirect them to the answer that's underneath that there's something like They've just misinterpreted yeah, the information, yeah, yeah. and so it's helping them feel that. Like I have a guy go, you know, I'm, you know, I'm swinging at it too quick. I was like, okay, well, so how does the ball know that? So like you kind of catch them in their logic. Well, I swung too quick. Well, okay, you hit it bad, but like how does the ball know that you swung too quick? Well, I topped it. I was like, well, how does the ball know you topped it? I don't know. Okay, now we're now we're. So you don't know. The right. greatest success has a great line. I have no idea who I'm quoting, but the, the greatest... Oh, this <laughs> we, this happens a lot, right? you read a lot, lot of right? books and stuff, yes. you, you get yeah, them all mixed yeah. up. Steal like an artist. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, the greatest obstacle success to success is not ignorance, but the illusion of knowing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Oh, I know, I know. I know. You're like, oh, this is going to be a long Then day. why are you here with me? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know? right. Like, so, but like, I try to get them down to, okay, you topped it. Well, what happened? Like, why'd you top it? Well, I picked my head up. Well, how's the ball? No, you picked your head up. Your head's way far away from the golf ball. 
By the way, it's never the head. This has never been the head in 13 years. <laughs> and in 50 years of Hanks, this has never been the head. Uh, it's always something else. The head can move all by itself. Everything else is moving. So, But like you get them to kind of work through that, and then you show them. And then video is really helpful in my job. Mm. And I think somewhat in the executive coaching, results can be mm-hmm. helpful to, mm-hmm. to that. Uh, but even when I don't have video, it's like you don't need video. You need to help them. In fact, sometimes video is better than no video. Hmm. Or sorry, sometimes no video not having a video yeah. is better because they're forced to like pay attention in here and not out here. Yeah. Well, That's what good. I was gonna say when you were talking about like video is a really good thing in my profession, I was about to say, but you would prefer to do it without. Like I was about to tell you that. Like, yeah. And and sometimes you need video to help the person understand what they're doing, which totally makes sense. But if you were gonna say like, hey Scott, I want an hour less than just you and me one on one, no nothing, no video. I still think you'd get. A same if not a better experience I told that. I told Rebecca um, my wife that with this two camera system in here I forgot how good I was with video because I hadn't I've used my phone and haven't used much video because phones just it's just not standardized mm-hmm. and that's all I used for two years and people were like how's this guy making people so much better without all that I was like I don't need it but it's so helpful like I actually learn faster I'm uh, able to catch things that I don't normally yeah, see yeah. Uh, it helps me redirect or answer something in a new way or like if they have that problem if it's too quick okay I can kind of start leading them through the answers and then I can like Mm. it's like it's the it's the icing on the cake at the end it's like Uh, the whole thing's there and it's just like dink you know like I use it used appropriately I don't use it as a crutch yeah that's good. In fact, in here, most of the time, I let them hit some balls, bring back, get video, show them where it's at, go in and fix it, and then I may not. Yeah. Show in my it to world, we just call them modalities. In my world, it's so it's just a different modality. Like it's, and sometimes for some people, that modality connects differently than you saying, "Hey, I want you to feel this in your body." That may take them a little bit to get to that place. And so it's learning to use those tools. Um, the last thing I'll say, and I have a question on the back side of this, the um, kind of going into the like taking charge and having control, you're going to rephrase it because I know I didn't say it right, but taking responsibility, it, taking responsibility. Yeah. Um, in my first book, I dedicated it to a gentleman who's a mentor of mine for a long time, taught voice ironically with the Tom thumb, um, thing. And I've put in there, I said to Mr. Hoover, and he was a voice coach for me, um, when I was singing in high school to Mr. Hoover, who helped me find my voice, both mm. figuratively and literally. Yeah. And, um, and so when people have that voice, and I think Jack's been very helpful in helping pull that out of me, hmm. um, is like, I'm not afraid to stake my ground. Like this winter stepping into the pre-elite in the elites, like we sat all the parents and we got 16 kids or hmm. sorry, 18 kids. I've got all the parents in there and these kids packed house. And I tell them all, I don't want you to coach your kids at all for the next four months. Don't tell them anything. Don't suggest anything. Let us do it all. And I was so nervous about that conversation. But I was like, this is who we are. This is what I need to do. I was like, I'm not saying don't ever give them advice on what shot to pick. I'm not saying don't ever push them to go practice. But let us take control of that because I need to see where they are without mm. any outside influence. That's good. I asked them all to get rid yeah. of, you know, unfollow your golf accounts, all <laughs> right, that sort of right. stuff. Like, let us see where it is purely. Trust the and process. And help you see and help you learn in a new way so that when things come in, you know what to keep and what to push away. Mm. And so the parents were super receptive of that. But I set a boundary 
which was really big. good. I said, this is who we are. Nice and green. Yep. And they're already in for four months. Yep. So they're kind of stuck. Um, but the parents were so receptive of that. I was like, hmm. That surprises me. But I think we well, make assumptions trust. about, yeah, and you, I've earned trust over the last right. several years. You've earned trust, and you're right. We do make assumptions about how people think and feel. And, and if I you've earned trust, yeah, and when you earn trust, the truth of the matter is we, most of us actually like boundaries. I kids like to thrive know, under and boundaries. And kids especially. So I actually kind of like knowing wait, what works for you and what doesn't. Because yeah. most people maliciously do not want to run over you. Most, that is not where most people are. Yeah. They're acting out of their own stuff, right? So when you actually go, hey, here's what works for me and what doesn't work for me, like, oh, okay. So so my question to that, to the Mr. Hoover who helped me find my voice, is how does what you do, what your books are, this most recent book, what's the name of it again? The Thrivalist Handbook. The Thrivalist Handbook. How does that help people have a choice, like make a choice, what like what do you want to leave them with since we're an hour and a half into this podcast? <laughs> this is so good. Like what what is it that we want to fundamentally it's to remind them that they have one. Hmm. You have a choice. It, but go. Jamie, I don't have one. I have to be in this job. I have to I have to be married to my spouse. It's like, well, okay. You've made that commitment, then that's something else has yeah. changed. But like I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to play for this coach. I have to do. You get to. And yeah, and and I would just say, how's that working for you? <laughs> you know, like you and and you and you and you, because you can. And by the way, I'm not here to remove you from your suffering. If you want to keep suffering, fantastic. Because here's what I know about suffering: it's going to teach you something. It used to be. I used to think, oh, geez, I gotta, I gotta rescue people. I gotta, I, like, I see what's best for them. I'm gonna take their pain. And energetically, I would sometimes even merge with someone and take all that pain they were feeling. And they, I know what that feels like. Oh, that was a flashback. Oh gosh. And they'd walk out feeling like a million bucks, and I was toast because I thought I was meant to be their savior. I'm gonna rescue. And from you make all really bad decisions bad, in that place. Bad, and they didn't, and and they had relief, but they did not have the cure. Mm. And by the way, that's what most of us are walking around on the planet. I just want relief, not the cure, because the cure is hard work. Most of us don't don't want to wake up. It's annoying get, to get woken up. But awakening is the journey, and it's awakening to the fact that fundamentally, you have a choice. And lots of us have given to go back to your voice. There's this little story by Hans Christian Andersen, which most of us know through Disney, not Hans, <laughs> which is called The Little Mermaid. Who and is it, this Hans? And, and in this, and in this, in this story, a little mermaid gives up her voice because she wants love and belonging. So she trades her voice for legs. Almost all of us go through some season in life where we gave up our voice for love and belonging. We give some fundamental aspect of us away because we wanted someone. We we wanted to be accepted. And as adults, <clears throat> we get to check in and go, what did I, what did I sell? Like, it, it's the quintessential, like, how did I sell my soul? Like, what was the thing I, when did I give my voice away? So that, and a lot of times it happens when we're being socialized as children, whatever the culture is, family system, you know, school system, religious system. But did I give my voice away? And what would it be like to take my voice back and go, no, I have something to say. And I get to say it in my way and who I am. And it gets to, my light gets to shine through the cracks where I've been broken. 
You know, it's really interesting, um, as you're saying this, a situation this week, I was talking with one of my college players, and it was the first time I heard them say, like, being there at, like, just even for a short period of time at Franklin Bridge, I felt like, like, well, y'all trust me. I was like, I don't think trust is the word you're looking for, kind of doing the same thing. I was like, do you mean value? Like, you feel valued? Like, yeah, my opinion matters, even if it's not taken. I was like, yeah, so that's like, you want to do that. Well, where you've been, you haven't had that. Mm-hmm. And so you finally have that voice. And it's the first time I heard them say, because they were always seemed to be takers. Like, mm-hmm. this coach isn't doing this for me. This player mm-hmm. isn't doing this for me. Like, my parents don't do this. This uh, Like, you hear that thread. And <clears throat> this is the first time yep. they said, I want to help people. Like, I want to give advice and nobody wants to listen to me. I was like, well, A, you never had anything you stood for. Hmm. Like, so that's helpful. But like, that's really neat to hear that like the bridge is producing some of that. And that's a credit to Brooks as our leader. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, Brooks is amazing. You say it's Brooks, but also too, I would say it's, it's everybody here. I mean, I've said this to so many people that I played golf with here. A lot of people, they're like, Hey, have you heard about that river club thing? Like, and I'll just like kind of, I'll be like, honestly, depending on how emotionally open they are, I'll say, in all honesty, this place in some ways has saved my life. Hmm. Like went through a horrible, horrible 2020, came here just thinking that I could knock some stress away with with hitting some balls and just got so much value from this Hmm. place. I think a lot of that is dedicated to you, but of course the the environment is Brooks's. That culture matters, right? I think that this piece of property has been a lifesaver for me mm. in that regard. It's why we don't have a bunch of guys who've been in the business for 35 years coming in and like we could have one of them come in and tighten up the ship perfectly right, right. right out of the gate. Right. But we button down on operations and we lose relations mm. with people. And it's like we're we're buttoning down on those spots and it takes time. He's okay making mistakes. He's like he knows everybody here's made mistakes myself included like but they don't define you. It's good. And he doesn't assume intent of malicious yeah, that's intent right. and everything. That's right. Like you didn't show up and work on time because you're you just don't care about your Most job. Most people are actually doing the best they can with the tools they have. Yeah. That's actually how most people are showing up in the world. And 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 if we'll lead with compassion and recognize that's all of us. Most of the suffering that happens on the planet is perceived separation. Mm. Hmm. And this is Jungian psychology, but you are me and I am you. When I look at you, the thing that irritates me the most is actually a reflection of whatever I'm bothered about in me. So the next time you're annoyed with someone, pay really close attention because it's something you're ignoring in yourself. That's and which, so you know, Jesus' language around that <laughs> is just judge not, lest you be not judged in the same way, right? Yeah. Spiritual teachers are saying the same thing. <clears throat> That's what's happening. So the, the pain comes from perceived separation. Wait, we are all human beings working out the human experience. We are all light and shadow. If we would wa- have patience and compassion, it's, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's not easy. It's really hard at times. And it doesn't mean you let somebody run over a boundary. And it doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. Right. We negotiate. We take ownership. We That's set boundaries. That's why there's laws in place. That's, That's right. Why we make agreements. Right. And one of the things I say to my clients is, hey, all expectations are premeditated resentments. You're never... Say that again. All expectations are premeditated resentments. Towards... You're never allowed to have an expectation again. Because an expectation is filled with ambiguity. I'm leaning, I call it common sense. I say, well, of course you, and I make an assumption. 
And it's assumption based on my birth order, my Myers-Briggs, based on my family of origin, based on my culture. I created an expectation. So, of course, nothing exists in a vacuum. You know this better than anybody. So you have to replace it. So this is again back to Jesus. You can't te- just stop something. No, no, no. It has Je- to be. Remember, we're back. We'll use Jesus teaching again. Back to spiritual teaching. When he's somebody's like, cast out the demon. Why? If I do, have more will come in. Right? You, you, you can't leave it in a vacuum. You have to replace it. The replacement is get rid of all expectations and replace them with agreements. Hey, do we have an agreement? Hey, what time are you going to be home? Five thirty. Do we have an agreement around that? Yes. So if you're not home at five thirty, that's a broken agreement. Yes. Super clear. What time are you coming home? I'll be home, uh, you know, a little bit after work. Opportunity for a lot of resentment. Yeah. And so, like, so this is kind of neat because I used to be afraid of, like, not coming home. Like, because I used to just come home whenever because I would stay. Again, I had no boundaries. Mm-hmm. So Steve would ask. Or mm-hmm. and I'd just stay there longer and I'd, I'd resent. And I'd yep. go home and Rebecca would resent that. And then yeah. I couldn't help this person. And then it's just like this, like, all over the place. But with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Rebecca's giving like as we've talked about it like podcast night is my night it's your night I could like we could stay here till 10 yeah, 30 yeah. and it wouldn't it's okay because we have a clear agreement we have a yeah and we I call just that haven't really- thought about that because I've always been afraid to do this but I'm actually not afraid to do this anymore because there is an agreement life gets really cleaned up when you remove expectations just just replace them with agreements it, we call that in real estate, we call it an upfront, upfront contract, yeah, right? Yeah, We'll good. say, hey, listen, can we agree before we start? Like, hey, um, let's say we're meeting for you to buy a house, yeah. right? I'll say, you know, hey, Jamie, thanks so much for coming to meet me. You know, I've got 60 minutes set out for this meeting. Is that still okay with you? You say, yes, it is. So now it protects me so I can get through my stuff. And he just can't say, oh, you know, I've got, you know, I got to go pick up the kids in, you know, it's good. 15 minutes. That's right. Right. And so now I don't feel rushed. I feel like we do enough for an agreement. And at the end, too, it's it, we also set an, an agreement saying, you know, at the uh, at the beginning of the meeting, we talked about how, you know, we would talk about if this is a good fit to work together. Is that do you still do you feel like me and my team are a good fit for you moving forward. And it's it's amazing because now we don't have to... A lot of yeses on it's so clear, it's so clear because we actually long for those kinds of boundaries but and what clarity. Is, what is the biggest thing in sales? The biggest thing in sales is when you get in front of a, a, a client and they're like, oh, I'll, I'll think about it. Right right, 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 right. I would rather leave with a definite no than a maybe. Yeah, like absolutely. I would rather... Yeah. Clear it's that clear. out of my headspace yep, yep. and move on to the next potential client than be having to follow up. Be like, have you thought about it yet? Have you thought about it yet? Because then you get further and further and further from the yeah. person. So these upfront contracts are amazing to it's be good. able to just it's establish a great phrase. the expectation. I love it. Yep. Cool. Well, I think we've we're at an hour forty here, <laughs> Jamie. I want to leave you with some time to promote anything that you want to promote. We just we thank you for blessing us with your time today. Oh uh, well, thank you. Um, no, I, I nothing to promote. Maybe an invitation if you're interested in hearing more about kind of what's happening in our world. We have a podcast called the Thrivalist Podcast, and of course, the books there on Amazon, the Thri- the Thrivalist Handbook. Um, and Does we it do have some, a green triangle? It, on it? It, it not on it, but in it. Oh. it yes. Yes. <laughs> it, uh, not on it, but in it. But no, I, this was just a joy to be with you guys. Thanks for the invitation. Of course, of course. Thanks for being here. So, y'all, uh, thanks so much for being with us here, hour and 40 minutes. We're experimenting with this uh, longer form podcast. I think it is it's amazing this when is we new. have a guest. 
because so we can then establish totally that's right that's right so it's it's been amazing Love so it. jamie thanks so much for uh, taking the time and um, oh, thank you You're thank you arcos thank you Strixon, for sponsoring the champions playbook and cracking the code here this winter at franklin bridge uh make sure to follow scott on instagram at shc golf two s's two e's also too uh we're everywhere that you listen to podcasts so if you're listening to this on apple uh please Press pause right now and roll down and give us a five-star rating and also leave us a review because that helps when people are searching golf podcasts in the search bar. We pop up first. So uh, if you're on Apple, make sure you do that. If you're on Spotify, that looks like a form of a follow. Uh, I believe on the on the Spotify platform. Yeah. Um, and we just really appreciate y'all's feedback and being um, and I awesome guess the last word on this playbook. one. Okay, so we talked before we started this that Jack came in. Around episode 70. Around there. Uh, ballpark, maybe a little before then. He's done 130 episodes plus, probably close to 150 at this point. He's done all the hard work behind the scenes. I just show up and have a good time. And <laughs> we're working to promote more. It's fun for me. Um, so um, not only should you get the Arcos thing for you, we get a little kickback from Arcos for doing that. And those dollars go to this gentleman right here because I set that up that way because that matters to me for the time that he's put in. And he doesn't do it for the dollars. He really doesn't. No. He doesn't. We and he's a gifted interviewer, man. You've you got skills. He is. I appreciate he is, that. Yeah. And so if you all see Jack, give him a big thanks. Buy the Arcos, one rule 15. Um, buy it for somebody for Christmas. Christmas, That's yeah. great. It's a great gift. Um, so, Jack, thank you. Like, I, that's not an, like, our friendship is the way I say thank you the best, but, um, we're working to add some dollars in this gentleman's pocket. If you see him say thanks, if you're looking to buy a house, go see, like, he's incredible. He's going to take care of you and his team's awesome. So I've never promoted his that's work good. on the podcast. That's so good. It's like, we need I will, to do I will that. cut that and put it no. up the front. <laughs> <laughs> put it at front, put it at five, put it at 10, yeah, right. put it at 15. That's yeah. This good. podcast just got to be uh, in two hours. Push the two minutes. hours, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love it. So thank you. Do you want to sign off? Do you know how to nah, do it? You good. All you're right, good. All right. That's all you, man. You're, so from, you're uh, from Jamie, Scott, and me here in the studio at Franklin Bridge, we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Peace.